One of the most common questions we get in our support channel for people considering getting into the authority side business is, can I be successful with this business if I'm not a native speaker? Well, I don't want to brag, but I'm doing okay. Je suis français, merde. No, seriously, this is a legitimate question. This business is primarily an information business, and as a result, not actually fully mastering the language your sites are in can be a little bit scary. Most beginners can even wonder how you can achieve any degree of success in this situation. So in this episode, we will debunk a bunch of myths that concern being a non-native English-speaking marketer. Let's get this episode going. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the latest episodes, and if you did enjoy them, don't forget to subscribe, So, because we are releasing a new episode every week. So if you don't want to miss them, the easiest thing is to subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on Google Podcasts. You can subscribe on Spotify or any other service you use. So I just wanted to remind you in case you are not subscribed yet. In this episode, we are talking, as I said in the intro, about being a non-native speaker marketer. And that is something that we get a lot in the support. I mean, you've been monitoring this a lot, Mark. Like, How often does this question come up? Yeah, I mean, when we're doing a launch, you know, several times a day, but it, it comes up every week, basically, someone asks this, and I'm sure there are many more people who are concerned or put off or, or afraid because they don't feel their English is, is up to the standard which they think it needs to be at. Mm -hmm. I just want to say in the intro, what was the French phrase that you actually said? As I look at it, uh, it sounds like I am French. And then what? Shit. Merit? Is that yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's just something you would say in French, you know? So on the subject of being French, to me, you sound like the most stereotypical French person on the planet. But it's quite common that we meet people and they don't pick up on the fact you're French initially. Mm-hmm. What happened there? I mean, I think most French people are absolutely terrible at speaking English. So that helps, you know, blending with other nations. But yeah, I mean, like, we're just not very good at learning languages in France in general. Although I would admit it's getting better when I go back these days. People still have like a horrendous French accent when they speak, but, but they do speak English now a lot more. But when I grew up, most people, despite having English classes, would finish high school basically not speaking English. It was really bad. And personally, like, I mean, I knew decent English, and we'll talk about this, but mostly from playing video games. And uh, I was sent in the UK by my parents, uh, I think twice when I was a kid, over the summer, and that helped a lot. Um, so I was probably better than average, but still better than average meant I still couldn't have a discussion and or didn't have the confidence to just talk to someone that can't speak French at the end of high school. So really, like, Mostly, I could write okay-ish with still a bunch of mistakes, but there's no way I could speak like I'm speaking now at that time. Whereas in most nations in Europe or even around the world, people can speak decent English at that age. So it's it's something that I picked up later as I was traveling and studying mostly, actually. I think that's an interesting point, actually, because just to get back to the, the question about support. So when we're looking at demographics, like where people are from on any kind of metrics we're looking at, the U.S. obviously is the, the biggest, but there are the other obvious ones, U.K., Canada, Australia, these kinds of countries are heavily up there. But in Europe, there's, I, I don't even know, was there like 25 countries in the continent of Europe? something like that at the, at the moment. And there's lots of little ones. So if you actually add up all of those, and then in More Southeast US, Asia, yeah. India, there's quite a, quite a lot of people, South America as well. We even had, uh, I checked on analytics, one visitor from North Korea at one point. So <laughs> hi, Kim, if you're listening. Yeah, that's probably only one guy that has the internet there. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The point is there's there's probably a lot more people than we think because there's not like one giant country like there's we don't actually have that many people from china although there's a a, a bigger audience now the jp started promoting yeah us. Shout out we'll, to we'll, talk, we'll talk about him later actually but yeah we're making a penetration yeah, in the so chinese market yeah yeah you kind of or we kind of are not i guess so attuned as to just how many non-native english speakers there are because they tend to be 
the countries tend to be smaller and further down the list. Yeah. But if you add them all up, it's a pretty sizable amount. And you know, from meeting a lot of people over in Chiang Mai at the SEO conference last year and other conferences as well, I think it's clear that there's a lot of people who are actually very successful who are, are not native English speakers. And I think it's, it's one of the most common kind of fears, really, that the people have. And I think it's it's somewhat un, unfounded, really. Yeah, when I was in Vienna as well, it was like mostly mostly non-native speakers. Like ver- only a handful of people were like American, basically Matt. And uh, everyone else was like, is it, mostly Russians and Ukrainians. But these guys were super black hat, so... Um, so they didn't care that much about like not speaking perfect English or anything like that. But yeah, there is a lot of people doing this kind of what we do in other countries and so on. And I think that that a lot of the time when that question comes up, like, oh, my English is not good enough, etc. I think it's, uh, it's a, it can often be a deeper self-confidence issue of like even yep. be like making, finding a reason to not believe you can do it, you know? So we're not going to talk about this now, but it is something that I think you need to catch yourself on. And to be honest, I've had that same excuse for doing face videos for years. It's about time to get going. Uh, I'm getting my air conditioning installed tomorrow, and then I actually have the space to do this. So it's time to, for me to get started. But you often find excuses to, to not do things. And, and I think that if you're listening to this and you haven't started yet, and you have said that is because your English is not good enough, many times, if you're already good enough to ask the questions, then, then you do okay. But uh, many times, you're just hiding your lack of self-confidence behind a technical is- issue that justifies why you're not doing it. And so that's... that's- yeah, and to, to put this into perspective, I also hear complaints from, from native English speakers who say, oh, my English writing isn't good oh, enough yeah. to, to publish online. So if you're looking for excuses, if you're looking for some thing that's not perfect then you're gonna find it it's just a you know people are very good at making excuses for not doing things so don't let this be one of them yeah so that that was definitely not in the notes but i think it's something that's important it's funny that we're talking about this because um someone that a lot of people know in this community has asked the same question about i think it's like three or four years ago and that's tim solo from who is kind of like the face of hrefs these days like he's the guy who's running the marketing and he's making videos as well mostly sam does them but tim has done some of them he writes a lot for the blog etc he does create content basically he does webinars he does interviews he does all of that he does public speaking talks at conferences as well yeah Yeah, public speaking i think it was about four years ago he sent a, a video question to gary vernishak literally asking that question like oh how can people take me seriously if i don't if i'm not a native speaker i have this ukrainian accent etc it's it's complicated and uh, <laughs> Netrek was just like just fucking do it like people don't care about accents and so on that's not exactly what he said well like uh, he was in, just in saying like but- get started you know yeah, I mean, that was basically the, the thing. But he said that there are a small percentage yeah, of people totally. who are going to judge you and who are going to care about it and it, who it's going to be a problem for. But essentially what he said was, fuck them, do it anyway. Yeah, if 5% of the market gets pissed off at your accent, so what? There's 95% left, you know? I did receive yeah. emails of people literally replying to like uh, active campaign emails or correspondent emails. Like literally saying like, oh, I don't like French people. Or I don't like foreigners, etc. Like I'm getting these as well. And so what? It's okay. Like it doesn't matter. Like there's, there's a lot And how many hours of sleep have you lost because of this? No, guy? It's kind of funny to me, actually. I think when that guy emailed me, I public shamed him on Facebook. <laughs> and I just put his name and just like hundreds of people saw it. And mostly because of intolerance. But overall, I don't care. Like, I mean, if you're getting any kind of rich, you're getting like thousands of people to to see your stuff. There's a percentage that will not like it, even if you're a native speaker. So it doesn't matter. It comes with reach. That's the way it works. So yeah, that's one thing I wanted to say. What are the most important like challenges and fears that these people kind of like rise when they ask the question? So first and foremost, they think people won't understand me when I write or when I speak. And therefore, I can't create content for my authority site and do any kind of online marketing. So that's by far the the most common thing. And I think it's obviously if you don't speak any English or can't write any English at all, then you're going to be right. But 
honestly, it's a very, very forgiving language and you don't need to be great at it in order to be well understood. I remember I lived in China for a little while and would say the name of the street to a taxi driver and had to say it like seven different times in like weird inflections and, and whatnot until I was properly understood. It was the same word. It's just they have like, it's a tonal language. So they have different inflections like up or down or the U one depending. And it means something completely different. And nobody apparently in China can understand that you mean the other one if you're saying something which is obviously incorrect. But in English, you don't have anything like that to worry about. No, that, that, happens, you say something, that happens sometimes. Even if you say something, I think, in pretty broken English, it's much more likely to be understood than in many other languages. It, it can happen sometimes. So, for example, for me, it's very difficult to... And it's kind of a joke with some of our local friends between walk and walking, you know? Like, am I doing walk or am I walking in the street, you know? And it's like, I basically say it the same way. It's, it sounds basically exactly the same, almost, when you're... Like, otherwise, if I had a French accent, I would say walk, you know, or something like this. And then that wouldn't work. So I have to kind of like soften my R and then it almost sounds like walking. So sometimes you will have some of these difficulties, but the thing is in the English... Well, honestly, though, when you say that, I'm like, well, obviously I'm, it's going to be like a <laughs> but that's, that's what the Chinese person I'm just going to pick the one which, which is going to be, which is going to fit correctly in the context of what you're saying. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because of the context you understand, but like, you know, that's what the Chinese person would say as well to some extent. But I want to say the English language it's probably the language with the most accents. If you consider like English accents, if you consider like all the British accents, if you consider the different American accents, the Canadian accents, the Indian accents, like Australian, etc. Like there's so many accents that the people that speak English natively are just used to deal with dozens and dozens of different accents and even struggling to understand each other, to be honest. And as a result, your accent is not going to be a problem. And even if you have these kind of issues, like... People are just used to dealing with them. I mean, like when people get a call from a call center, they usually get an Indian accent, etc. They get all of these. Like there's all these weird accents that people are used to encounter in daily life, and they're just okay with it. And it's it's just because the English language has become that kind of like big, um, like uh, essentially the common language most people use to communicate internationally. It's completely accepted if one you make grammar mistakes and two you have a weird accent. Some of them are actually like really, really difficult to understand. I, I really struggle <laughs> with accents. some Irish accents, like a very thick country Irish accent is very hard for me. A lot of people struggle with Scottish accents. Oh I don't because I'm from there originally. Newcastle in the UK is another big one, which is notoriously, notoriously difficult. So yeah, you're not worse within, than these people. Within one country, it's an issue. You yeah, know? you're not worse than these people. Like seriously, like, you know, sometimes we literally had we compared like some of my videos with videos from like Scottish people for Tori Hacker and people would understand my videos better, you know? And so it's one of these things where like, it doesn't take much to catch up with the most difficult to understand accents in the English language from native speakers. And so you're kind of on the same level here. So that is quite interesting, but I think we should talk about writing first. And we're going to start with our tips because we, we said certain tips. So we need, we need to kind of start counting them. And the first one is, Learn how to actually write in your language. Most people, it's not a language problem. It's how to structure writing. Most people can't structure content. Like seriously, we hire content writers and I would say at least 80% of them don't know how to structure content unless you give them the structure. It's ordering ideas in the right way, in a logical way that flows so you don't repeat the same information, but you give the preliminary information that you need to give at the beginning so you can develop an argument later that relies on the hypothesis of what you've explained at the beginning of your content. Most people can't do that. If you're able to do that, you're already a better writer than most native speakers because most native speakers can't do that. I've been the editor for many, many native speakers and I've been prized for like pushing them to essentially structure the, their content because it's the value of structuring your content and being able to push a point through in a structured way is a hundred times higher than proper grammar. And if you're able to write properly in your own language, this transfers to the English language. And as a result, you're able to stand out despite your lack of mastery of grammar, style, and all these other things. 
personally, the way I learned it is when I was in high school in France, French education is pretty hardcore on, on writing. Every Saturday, not every Saturday, like two out of three or something, I would uh, be sent to write dissertations for four to five hours. On the morning, between 7.30 and 8.30, it would start. I would finish around 11 or 12.30. And it was pretty hardcore. You were not even able to go to the toilet. So you, you literally had to like ask and everything. It was insane. Like You were not allowed to eat food. You were not allowed to do anything, just writing. And But what was interesting in, in the way they were forcing us to write these dissertations is you know, this final paper that you're going to give back, they only gave it to you like two hours after it started. They only had like scribbling paper to start. And so that forced you to research and structure what you were going to write. And as a result, you, you basically had to bullet point exactly the way we're doing this podcast today, all the content you're going to write, because then you only had like one or two hours to write a couple thousand words and you had to have everything ready because otherwise you could not write it. There was no chance. And so by doing this format, they were actually, they forced me to learn it. And I think that's a good format in the sense that you can learn how to write by first learning how to structure your, your content. And we use Dynalist for this. It's a free tool. It's excellent. And we are literally doing this podcast off of Dynalist right now. All our points are on Dynalist and it's very easy to follow. And that's why we're able to like pack this podcast with content because we structure this before. So it's the same for your content. You need to essentially do your dynalist before, spend like an hour or two literally just writing bullet points and you know do research, put links, put all of that, images and so on. And eventually when you're ready, then you can start writing. And all of a sudden writing just feels less of a pain and you write way better the content than most people in your industry. We sort of lecture this point quite often when we're talking about how to improve your content generally. I think we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago on the, yeah. the show as well. And everyone who we say this to, you know, structure your content, it's like, yeah, 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 okay, I'm going to do, do it. Nobody does it. <laughs> Nobody does it, honestly. Very, very, very few people do this well. And it's probably the biggest differentiator in what makes our content, I think, stand out online in, in many ways. But like, seriously, like a proofreader is like five bucks an hour. Someone who can, you know, structure high quality content is like a hundred plus bucks an hour, you know, like the value of this is so much higher. Like Grammar, you will talk about this, but actually it's just the next point. So let's start with this, but you can use tools like Grammarly or Hemingway app that essentially start like use modern day AI. It's not really AI, but it's, you know, it's figuring out a lot of stuff to help you improve your style, to fix your common grammar mistakes and so on. And you can fix a lot of stuff with this. I use the Chrome plugin for Grammarly. It's really, really good. I pay for it. I think it's like 14 bucks a year or something. It's really not a lot of money. I would not recommend using it within WordPress when you create content because it has a bunch of bullshit HTML. So the way I do it is I actually edit the content on Google Docs. And then, then after that, we transfer the content to WordPress so that the bullshit HTML is not added in there. And it's also a little bit distracting when you're writing content because yeah. you always feel like you have to stop and fix it if it's not correct versus I, I like to just get the thing down and then put it back through Grammarly or, or Hemingway app. I, I use it as well. Uh, yeah. It points out a lot of mistakes that, that, that I make as well. I fix native writers' mistakes all the time with it, like really all the time. It's it's incredible. Like I, I'm able to, and it's super fast because it just underlines it in red. And I am amazed that not all writers are using this at this point. I mean, you're talking $14 a year and Hemingway is free. So it's it's all very cheap to achieve. And, and that kind of like enforces that point that we're saying, like being able to structure content and add value by putting a point through in a clear way, which most writers cannot, most, most native writers cannot do. Like you, if you're able to do that, you're way above them. And the value per hour of this is like 20x where a proofreader is. If you're a native speaker, you know what to do. Get these apps and learn how to structure content by preparing and planning. Another thing I do is um, I make my writers proofread each other. So we, we pretty much have only native speakers at this point for writers. And I make them like check each other's content. So this way I don't have to be the, like the grammar Nazi. They can be grammar Nazis with each other. But the thing is, like, if I actually check it with Grammarly, et cetera, after and I find mistakes after they've proofread, then, then they get shit from me, basically. So they essentially push to apply pressure to each other on improving their English. And so as a result, our content is better. And uh, I mean, it costs me money, but it doesn't cost me time. Another cool thing that it does is it. I also ask them to add ideas to the article so they can comment on Google Docs and they can be like, hey, I think you should add this or this link is relevant, this kind of stuff. 
And as a result, you get better quality articles, both in terms of English and in terms of the content itself. So that's like if you, you know, if you outsource your content, hiring two writers, especially freelance, like it's the thing is like it doesn't cost you more to hire two writers when you pay per article. You just give half the work to one, half the work to the other, and you can essentially cross them and get better value for the exact same price, apart from the, the price of them proofreading each other, basically. So that is one trick that I have for people. Yeah, this is, this is a very common thing that comes up when, especially in the authority site system, when people are kind of using agencies or, or outsourcing content, hiring writers themselves that kind of thing is that they're not sure how to check it or, or tell if it's good because they, they don't feel their English or their grammar is, is sufficient to, to do that. So that this kind of solves that problem. Just hire two writers and have them check each other. Yeah. And so that's the thing. It's like most people, it's a mental block, right? You're like, why am I hiring two people? Like I, I barely outsource any content. Like it's the same price. You just give half the work to each writer and that's it. Another trick that I have, which uh, it's like I haven't done it in the past few weeks, but uh, I did it at the beginning of the year, I think. It's like more like writing epic status updates on Facebook and social. So personal blogging, I think it's dead. I think in personal blogging, like, you know, blogging about your life, et cetera, like nobody cares on a blog. But uh, social media has taken this over. So using networks like Facebook, even Twitter, now you can do long tweets, et cetera. You can attach documents and so on. And using these to make a 30-day challenge of writing like a 200-word epic status update like on an opinion you have or on some piece of news or something like this just like writing really short content about your life and something that interests you is going to get you to start writing and and do things and what i really like about the social media aspect of doing this is that you can start to learn not only to write but to write for engagement, which you need to do if you want to build a successful authority site. So you need to write content that engages people. And it's very easy to, to measure engagement on social media. It's just how many likes you get, how many people commenting, etc. And as you do that, like you'll find triggers that have worked really well. Like you write like five posts and they will bump and nobody will care. And you'll write one and you know you'll get like 50 comments and 20 likes, etc. And you'll be like, looking back and at what you did and maybe do something similar like two days later and see if you get the same level of engagement. And not only how you learn how to write, you learn how to write engaging content, which is exactly what you need to do for, for your sites eventually. So I think it's a good training wheel to like use social to, to write short content. And it's really nice because it can be short. Like it can be like 100, 200 words. It doesn't take a lot of time and it's going to get you going with writing in English. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, I, I think the, with the with the thirty or ninety day challenge, however you're you're doing it, it's just really important that you absolutely stick to it every single day without fail. Like, make it your number one priority of that day to to get that done. Do it first thing in the morning or whatever. Otherwise, you're you sort of prone to drop it after a couple of weeks, and then it just sort of fades into nothingness. Yeah, you can take the next one. So the next point is to partner with a native English speaker now. What I don't mean by this is just sort of, oh, let's partner, partner, with, with, a a partner with a native English speaker who can proofread you and you can kind of get rid of your obligation to get better or to improve your, your skills with, with English. That's, that's a bad idea because that's, that's a bad economical decision for you because you can hire a proofreader for five, 10 bucks on, on uh, Upwork, no problem. They can, uh, they can do most of that for you. What I mean by that, though, is that turn your business from whatever language you're, you operate in at the moment to English. So make that your, your default language that you're communicating with everyone. If you have a, a partner, as, for example, Gail and I do, we're business partners, that means that all of our strategy discussions, all of our debates, all of our arguments are in English, obviously. And that... I mean, you tell me, Gil, that must have helped you to some extent um, with your with your English abilities. Uh, I think it helps with like debating, you know. I remember in high school, like it's funny, I was in like, I, the, my high school tried to do an English debating club or something and I went there and everyone was so bad that there was no debate at all in the end. So I did not learn how to debate <laughs> in in high school. You kind of like, it's interesting because you talk about stuff you care a lot about. And so you you might get a little bit emotional about these things, et cetera. And as you do get emotional, often your communication gets confused. So it, it's nice in the sense that 
you do debate and you you do things that you care about and it's almost like learning how to communicate under pressure not under pressure but you know what i mean like you, you, we might have different opinions or something and you really want to get your point how to express a how to express a view and convince someone that you're correct yeah. Exactly. Well, well, the other party is like trying to push you the other way, you know? And so it's very interesting because it's kind of like the base of like starting to speak publicly as well. It's just like you're doing it to one person, but it's kind of the same. And if, you're, if you're doing this online, as we're a virtual company, we don't have any physical offices. So a lot of these kind of mini debates that we have every day are on Slack. Uh, yeah, so it's kind or of like on the podcast, it depends, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But like w- when it comes to actually deciding what to do next in, yeah, in the company, yeah, yeah. which is something which we both really care about, then that's kind of more in the, the Slack channel kind of thing. Yeah, uh, it's like it's a mix of like, it's, it's basically in writing. Um, I, I do have the bias of like writing five words and pressing enter every time and Mark gets really pissed off at that. So I can <laughs> use it to get him triggered and then just push him in the wrong direction. But yeah, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. It's also kind of like it, it's it's like a last line of defense, and you know, there's been a couple of times when I've I've stopped something like very bad going out or whatever. But in general, I don't check Gil's work. Yeah. I don't need to. He's like he's by, like good enough, like way good enough to 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 write anything. In. And actually, we should tell that story. You know, um, when we started producing product on Health Ambition. Um, we don't sell this product anymore, so I'm just gonna say. It. But at one point, I did the, the the sales page or the email. I can't remember. It was like full of mistakes, like really, really full of mistakes. And Mark just sees it like something like six months after we launched it. So it was already making money. So, and first of all, he's like, "How the fuck can we make money from something that's so full of mistakes?" <laughs> and Mark corrects it, and conversions go down. Literally, conver- like conversion rate went down. After you fixed it, <laughs> it's not to say like you were bad. It's to say that it didn't matter to make sales, you know. And, and it's like even I mean I was surprised. I was kind of like a bit ashamed to be honest when you cut, when you cut it. And then I was like WTF? Like it just doesn't doesn't make sense. But it doesn't matter. And people like the truth is, a lot of native speakers are so bad at writing <laughs> that they yeah. don't even see your mistakes. <laughs> and so like it's it's not that bad, you know. It's true, like. For people that don't have a job where they need to write and, you know, they didn't study a lot or they just went to high school or something, like, seriously, their writing is also full of mistakes. And and if you're on the, like, people still take them seriously. If you're on that level, it it, it shows that really it's it's not hard to catch up, basically, and and you don't need to be perfect. And this is Um, getting back to what you said earlier about the structure of what you're writing being far more important than the grammar or the actually making proper sense in in english because in in the context of a sales page especially really the magic of it is in is in the structure the 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 finesse of the 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 last one percent to get the grammar right is nothing it's it's just not that important really yeah i'm pretty sure like uh, if you take a page like uh, the authority side system for example if you go like you guys can go check the sales page on authorityhacker.com system i'm sure most people don't read most of the smaller text you know Honestly, we should do tests at some point to put like some lorem ipsum on, <laughs> on some areas, you know, just to see if conversion rates actually change. But yeah, it's like it, most people don't even read the fine print, etc. So it, it doesn't matter. And even if they do, they don't pick up on the mistakes because especially on sales content or content that uh, refers to buying products, I mean, they're more focused on like making a decision. But I mean, if they catch your mistakes, they will lose trust. But if they don't, most of the time they don't, and they pay less attention. So yeah, that's something that I wanted to say. That it helps to have an English-speaking partner. But once again, it, it many times this thing, these mistakes I've made that you haven't caught, and it still went okay. Exactly, uh, uh, and, and it's it's just not necessary to to kind of get into it so much, like with checking and and all that. If we wanted to do that, as I said, we would just hire a proofreader or someone. But yeah. it's it's just not necessary. That's why I think we haven't done it. Yeah, we, we do get the occasional like, "Oh my god, you made a mistake" or something. But yeah, it's most people are just doing it from a, a friendly perspective rather than like trying to like call you out or something. Most yeah. people are, are nice, actually. Like a lot of people are nice, so like you should also. Many people will be forgiving as well. Yeah, I'll let you pick the next one. Uh, about reading more. I mean, yes. this is this is your one. 
Okay, sure. Well, I mean, I think that reading and reading fiction has helped me a lot. I don't read a lot of books these days, to be honest, but I have read a lot when I was learning English. And I think if you are trying to improve your English, reading a lot helps a lot. Personally, I just went with like the classics and mostly because entrepreneurship books, etc. Actually, the vocabulary range is is not that great. And it's just not not real life. Like it's better to like I'm personally more in the in the school of like, oh, you should learn classic English and then just regress back to like modern day English. And personally, what well, like some of the types of books that helped me a lot uh, were like Agatha Christie books, like Sherlock Holmes stuff, Picture of Dorian Gray. I, I liked it a lot. Gone with the Wind, Wizarding of Hates. These kind of like classic literature stuff. And to be honest, they're fiction. They're kind of nice. You can just pick them up at night and just read for an hour or something. I even like studied some of them and. Yeah, consuming English content in general as well. If you're too lazy to read books, it's okay. It happens. I'm doing it these days. So, But I recommend just consuming English content in general, like watching TV shows, watching documentaries. You will learn a shit ton of cool stuff. I mean, watching like Vice documentaries or something, if you want, or like maybe more serious ones, will teach you cool stuff. It will be interesting. And if you hear and read English, you will pick up a lot. And if another way to read as well that I think can be quite cool, two ways that can be quite cool and teach you things and you will read decent English would be reading Quora and reading Medium articles. I think these two are quite decent. Obviously, this is more like online content, so you'll level down from like classic literature. But, but yeah, like overall just reading more basically and consuming content. Yeah, this is also true for uh, if you're raising kids. Like, there's a very, very strong correlation between the number of words a child hears before, I think, age two, and like their actual development, like their intelligence development over time. Yeah. Because, like, even if someone else is reading it to them, because it's it's like kind of I just guess just gaining awareness of of words really and the context of them and sentences and stuff. I actually had an English teacher back in. My first year of high school, he was horrible, horrible man. Super, super strict, like old school kind of scary teacher dude. And he made us, our class, read a book a week for the entire year. That, like, I hated it at the time. Like, I despised it just because it took so much time to do it. But honestly, like, it really helped uh, develop my English ability. However good or bad the same way i hated writing uh, dissertations like on saturday morning you know that wasn't my favorite thing to do you know yeah i can imagine yeah (laughs) it was stressful as hell like it was difficult but it's the one thing that is by far helping me the most out of all the education i got ever and that beats university that beats anything else that i've done and that was the hardest so uh, and i think that's kind of a point as well like um Pick the hardest path because that's usually what you get the most benefits from. So, you know, reading harder books, well, it will uh, it will help. Oh, by the way, I started reading English with Harry Potter. So if you have never read, Eng- read English books before, which I don't think you do because otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Uh, that's, that's where I started. But then after that, I graduated to like proper literature. This was the worst, actually. This was, so you see, I got to university and it was like easy peasy. And I was still like top 20% of my university without even working. After this level of high school, that was just so easy. So yeah, these, these hard things pay off eventually. And usually the things you hate when you're a kid are the ones that help you the most later. That's what Mark discovered with vegetables later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway. uh, okay, so moving on, let's talk about speaking for a change. So. Obviously, when you're creating content, you're launching an authority site or you're getting into blogging, you, you want to be good at writing, writing content, right? But it's not just the physical writing part that's, that's important. You need to be able to communicate with people, be that the writers who you're hiring, be that with your audience, if you ever get into doing podcasts or, or video, which is becoming really important these More days. Important, yeah. Yeah. Uh, most of our blog posts, most of our new blog posts these days will feature video quite heavily um, in them. I think it's super important uh, to, to to sort of have that multi-channel kind of approach. But speaking English is 
a completely different kettle of fish to use a, an English term. Uh, it, it really depends because if you just go to an English country and you start learning English and you're just chatting with people, then okay, of course it's going to be easy. But it can also be a little bit intimidating because you're actually having to kind of respond in real time to someone when you start speaking English. If you're just reading, you can stop, look up a word, learn learn what it is, think about it, and you have time. When you're speaking to someone, there's, there's this pressure to actually kind of process it in real time. Actually speaking to other people is, is super important. And the best way that I've come across for, for that, and this applies equally to native English speakers as it does to non-native English speakers, is a group called Toastmasters. Anybody who does any kind of public speaking should go and go to toastmasters.org and join this group right now. Find a local meetup and join it. It's basically a group that they usually meet like once a week, once every two weeks, depending on what's going on in your area. And you go, you go and you give speeches in front of the group, usually just five, six, I think eight minutes is the, the, the longest one they'll, they'll do. And it's a really, really good way of becoming a better communicator and getting rid of all those horrible speech imperfections. If you are a native English speaker, just, just to put this into context, so we actually have a podcast editor, RJ is his name, a really good guy. And he spends maybe four or five hours a week editing this, this podcast. And the majority of it, probably 80% of his work is, is cutting out. Blanks out. Is <laughs> cutting, no, that's the easy bit. It's cutting out ums, as and horrible phrases that we, we both say, such as, and you know, like, these kinds of phrases that they're not adding anything. They're, they're kind of pause words because we're not sure about what we're going to say next. And we both tend to speak quite quickly. So there's one right there. Uh, so please don't edit it just to show yeah. you. So going to this group will help you gain a lot of confidence in your ability to, to speak to other people. And there's all sorts of other benefits from, from having that, that kind of, confidence as well there's there's very well structured the the group they have grammarians who will will come along and they will like teach you new words or they will highlight when other people use interesting words and yeah it's just a very 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 good way of building your confidence at speaking Uh, i've been going for a couple months now and in my group there i'm in hungary at the moment but there are a lot of people who are non-native english speakers obviously in fact most people are non-native english speakers the people who've been going for a long time, honestly, it's hard to tell. Like, I mean, you know, from their names and maybe a little bit of the accent that they have, but they're so clear and they're so kind of confident in their their English that you you almost wouldn't know that they're they were not native English speakers. So, yeah, I would strongly encourage anyone to to go to that, including me. I need to start. Um, yep, I need to work on this. I'll let you take the next one as well. This is yours too. Yeah, so the concept of doing a language exchange is kind of like a, a smaller version of Toastmasters, I guess. You're, it's, it's, it tends to be more of a one-on-one or a small group situation. There's loads of these groups. You go to meetup.com or check Facebook in your local area for a language meetups. I think Couchsurfing has a, a lot as well, actually, if you're, if you're on there. And you can, the, the premise is you show up and half the time you speak in your own language. Maybe someone else wants to learn your language. And then the other half the time you speak in English. So it's kind of like you're trading your time in educating someone else about your language for their time in educating you about English. And you just chat about anything, really, uh, anything that, that, that interests you. And yeah. That's a that's a thing. Yeah, it's free as well. Both Toastmasters and this is free. So you know, many times when you mention things, it costs money. These these don't. So um, there's no excuse. You know, language exchanges are also very low pressure as well. So if you're if you're more shy, then I mean, to be honest, if you're shy, you should go to Toastmasters and you will stop being shy about speaking English very quickly. <laughs> but if that seems too intimidating to start with, then go to a language exchange. People will be super friendly there. The downside of this, obviously, is 50% of the time you're not learning English. So if if your time is very limited and you have more money, then maybe just hire someone to, to teach you instead of going to, to a language exchange. But it can be sort of more organic if you're having a conversation that way versus having someone to actually teach you. It can feel a lot, too, feel too much like learning, I guess. 
Yeah, and yeah, it's a good way to start. It's just really there's no expectations, you know. Yeah. The the next um, one, the next one, yeah. point number nine is to have an immersive experience. So go to a native English speaking country uh, or area of a country and exist there, live there, become one of the locals. Essentially, change your phone, your PC settings to English. Throw away any uh, reminders of your your previous country, and then just speak with locals and live with locals. I, you did something like this. I think you were you were a bit younger. Like it was a, was it a school program or something? No, it's like my. Uh, I mean, I, I did two things. So my parents sent me like two times one week or something in the UK when I was in middle school, and I was staying at like this. Um, this English literature teacher, that's how I picked up all these books I mentioned earlier. And uh, I did a school exchange program. So, like, um, I was sent to Cambridge and to Cardiff one week each time. It wasn't a lot, you know, it was just one week. Um, yep. But just, you know, you were put in a family, nobody spoke French. Well, if you wanted to eat, you kind of had to say, what, to tell them what you wanted to eat, even though it was like horrible, like, peas you guys eat in the UK or something, you know. <laughs> Mushy peas, yeah, sounds about right. Oh my god, with so gravy a, on top, etc. <laughs> that's uh, that's something that I've seen here in Hungary a lot. It's a very notoriously difficult language to learn Hungarian. If you want to be good, you just have to immerse yourself in it. There's programs where you can pay to go live with some old grandma in the countryside, uh, and there's like no internet and only Hungarian TV and Hungarian books and Hungarian people around. Nobody there speaks any English. Uh, and apparently it works really well for for kind of picking up quite quite quickly. And I think there must be some kind of similar programs in English, but y- you know you don't have to go to that extreme really. You can you can just sort of start frequenting places where English is spoken more. Go to meetups or events where English is the primary language. Conferences, university events as well can be a good one. Like a lot of universities, whatever the country have events in English that are open to public. And you can just show, you know, usually after classes, etc. I mean, we had a lot of this in my university. Yeah, it's an easy way to go to a more English-speaking environment, you know. Yeah, that would be like your debate club and stuff. Yeah, this kind of stuff. But like, it's open to the public. It's not just for like students, you know. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, the next one, the next one is, is probably mine because I'm playing a lot more games than you. But yeah, that's playing video games online especially collaborative games, uh, games where you play with other people. And pretty much 99% of the time, the default language is English. Like I play a game called Overwatch. It's a game where you shoot people and you're a hero, etc. But the, the interesting thing is, uh, is it's a 6v6 uh, game. So you're in a team of six people. You're just thrown randomly with people. Uh, people are notoriously really toxic, but that's kind of an interesting thing. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because you're thrown in a, chat, in a voice chat with random people who pretty much hate you from first the first second. But you got to learn how to collaborate with them, which is teaching you a lot about management. I mean, I've learned a lot that very often the optimal solution is not the optimal solution, you know? It's just to like revolve around what people are actually able to do, willing to do, etc. Teaches you to speak to random people. Most of the time it's free or cheap. And most importantly, because the video games are really fast, it teaches you fast communication and how to cut the fluff when you're saying things. So everything you say must have meaning, otherwise you're essentially polluting communication. And I think that's a, that's a really interesting skill for creating content because many, many people fluff like hell when they create content and it's just, you know, it's unreadable. It's just terrible. And actually being a gamer you have to cut the fluff because there's, you literally have three seconds to react as a team on these things. And if you start like making long, de- useless descriptions, you're dead, you know? <laughs> so that's why I think uh, playing video games, especially if you're like in a remote area or something like this, like, you know, anyone can do it from anywhere, provided you have an okay computer. It, there's not much stopping you, you know? Yeah, I, I think as well, it's important. I think maybe the, one of the reasons why Overwatch works quite well is because it's that small team of six. If you're in yeah. a big, I don't know how many people are in a WoW raid these days, but if, if you're in a an EVE Online battle with 5,000 people or something and one person barking commands at you, you're not really going to do very well there. Uh, it's, it's, it's more the kind of small social group of people where everyone 
has has to talk for something seems to be the most efficient way at least uh, i don't know we had uh when i was playing this other game called lineage 2 we had like battles of like 200 versus 200 and uh, the way it worked is like you had like one guy shouting orders but then you would have sub channels with parties of like six seven people playing as a small squadron and essentially you had a vocal chat with them so you mm-hmm. were still talking to them and walking with them within a bigger group so it can still happen in other, in other games cool the next one is kind of like a, we're kind of cheating here. Number 11 is uh, uh, doing stories on social media. So Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook stories, Messenger, all that stuff. It's a really good way to learn. Same thing, as I said, for the social media posts. You can do the exact same thing, essentially. You can you know, make a quick video every day uh, and learn how to speak and engage with people and then see their reaction pretty much live. So it's really easy and fast and you can learn how to focus on engagement as well, which is the most important part in speaking. It's not your grammar or anything like that. It's engagement and how people like your content, which you get a direct feedback on when you do social media story type things. So yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good way of doing things. And you can grow your social media presence in your niche if you're getting started. So it's kind of cool. They say that when you want to internalize something, teaching it is the best way to do that. I've certainly had the, that experience with creating paid content uh, for our courses, for the Authority Site System, Authority Hacker Pro, and our new upcoming course, which was soon to be released. So the, that process of having to tell someone how it works it forces you to internalize it. So if you want to be good at English, then you might consider teaching other people English. And you may think, oh, how could I ever be a, an English teacher? Like you, you don't have to be amazing at English to teach people the basics. You can teach anyone. I mean, even if you only speak very, very basic conversational English, you can still teach that to someone. It's a valuable skill. And in doing that, you will get better at English yourself. I'm not saying go out and do a TEFL course and become an English teacher or anything, but you can volunteer. There are loads of charities in, in non-native English speaking countries that want people to come and teach like orphans and stuff like that to speak English, to help them in their future job prospects and potential careers and, and, and things like that. So have a look at for opportunities like that and, and teach a family member if they don't speak English. So I know a lot of older family, family members in some countries uh, struggle with that and, with the internet becoming more and more prevalent, then they may struggle to take part in certain elements of society. So you can be doing a good deed there as well. Okay, and for the final point, this is not really an essential thing to, to do, but it's just, I, I thought I'd put it in there because one of our friends sort of did this a little bit. It's about accent reduction classes. The fact is they work. So Gail and I have a friend, Almog's his name. And he's from Israel originally. He speaks pretty good English as it is. It's, it's very, very, very good. But it's it's not sort of like native level accent, I would say. It's very obvious he's from a different country when he speaks normally. But he did like a few classes online with, with some Australian uh, language teacher. And she basically um, taught him how to pronounce like the Aussie slang. Then he went out in Melbourne, I think it was, and he started filming interactions with locals where he would talk in that accent. And about half of them bought it. Half of them believed it after, I think, two or three lessons it was, which is pretty good. I would say, though, that, and we, we mentioned this at the start, accents don't really matter for very much. Yeah. Like, if you're, if you have a super strong Scottish accent or something, then might actually struggle to understand you. But if you're, if English isn't your first language and you're learning English, you're not going to have, most likely not going to have one of these weird accents. You're most likely going to have a an English English or like a U, uh, US English, American English accent, depending on where and whom you learn from. But it's just a little something to think about if you're kind of getting more into speaking in a serious way, you, you may consider it. Yep. So that's basically the certain tips for like non-native speakers. Really overall... Don't overthink it. Practicing is the only way to progress anyway. So doing the things like the social media stuff, taking part on in local meetups, language exchanges, all of that, all of this is free. It's not even a money thing. So even if you're considering starting and you're on a low budget, you can still improve. Consuming content, I mean, going on YouTube and watching videos in English, or there's a lot of public right, like, you know, copyright-free books at this point, like when I was talking about classic literature. Many of these books are old enough to be free now. 
So you can also go and read free books. You can go to just your library, probably they have some stuff in English. You can use software like Grammarly and Hemingway app to help you improve the content that you're creating. You can learn how to structure content better than 80 speakers because it's not that hard to be better than the average. And this has more value than actually having perfect grammar and everything. So there's all these little tips and tricks that you can use to do better yourself at being a good non-native speaking English content creator. There are people doing it like Tung from Cloud Living, Jangpeng, Team Solo. I put Craig Campbell in there. <laughs> Craig Campbell is from Glasgow, but, but it's kind of an ongoing joke that he did a translator, so I put him in there. And me as well. Like I mean, I'm a non-native speaker, so Craig, don't be mad. I put you in the same list as me. There's a lot of people in this industry and in other industries doing it, and people don't care that much. So any final thoughts that you want to add to this, Mark? Yes, I do. So I would say that if you're listening to this and you're, you're worried about your English ability, know this. Your English ability matters a lot less than you think it does. Most native English speakers have pretty terrible grammar and speak on the whole quite poorly. As I said before, we have a guy who edits out all our pause words. It's, we're that bad. If you go back to read any of Gail's earlier articles, I think you might have to go on Wayback Machine to find these 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 now. The, the English was pretty bad, I would say, but the content was very good because, going back to what he said, it was very well structured and he had a, a good idea that was presented in a clear fashion. That's really what, that's all you need to focus on with, with, with content. The rest will take care of itself the more experience you have and the the more times you publish and create content, the more times you use Grammarly and Hemingway app and, and, and that. What, that. That's what really matters at the end of the day. English is a very, very, very forgiving language and you don't need to be anywhere close to native le- level to be a good communicator and to be well understood. If you're listening to this podcast and you can understand 80 plus percent of what we're saying, of what was said in, in the show, then I would say that you're already good enough to publish content in English on your own blog, on your own website, on any other channel you you wish. So don't let this hold you back as a, and don't put this as an excuse for not moving forward, for, for not taking action and not starting a site. Yeah. So guys, that's basically it for this podcast. Thank you for listening. If you're a non-native English speaker, don't forget to subscribe. If you're native English speakers, don't forget to drop us a review. And have a good week, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.